This episode of RTFM, once again brought to you by readyincantetti.com. It's time to forswear the PDF. It hurts your eyes. Max, do your eyes hurt? Always. Get off your screen and embrace one of humanity's greatest technologies, the book. It's portable. There's no two-factor authentication. You can lend it and give it away. You can copy it, modify it. It is useful as a weight or a weapon. You can get books from R-A-T-T-I-I-N-C-A-N-T-A-T-I.com. Cool books, cool zines. That's the ad. And we are the podcast, RTFM. I am Aaron King. Yeah, uh, I'm Max Lander. I love this ad era we're in because I never know what you're going to say. Like, I just am not involved at all in the ads. Yeah, I wanted to bring you in a little bit on that one. Yeah, I know. You threw me me for a lurk. Um, Today, we have one of my favorite humans on the entire planet, which I think I've said a handful of times because I keep harassing all of my... (laughs) All of the people I like in the world to come and join us and talk about games. Uh, Kate, you want to introduce yourself? What what the important parts of you are? I guess. Um, sure, sounds good. Um, I'm Kate Tremblay. I'm a writer. I particularly write horror short stories a lot. I'm also a narrative designer and a game developer. So I've been working in the video game industry for uh, about ten years at this point now. Um, I've worked all over the industry from indie to AAA to mobile to escape rooms to ARGs and uh, I've recently landed up at co-founding a studio with some really great folks so I am uh, doing that whole new thing now. Very cool. What's the worst game you've ever had your name on? (laughs) Wow. Wow. (laughs) What's your greatest regret? My greatest regret? Wow. I don't think I've had enough coffee for this question. That's fair. Listen, it's, I'm having a rough year, so that's my energy. Uh, today we are reading not a regret, not a hated game. Uh, we're reading Thousand-Year-Old Vampire by Tim Hutchings, which was finished in 2019 and distributed in 2020, according to the very helpful notes in the book. Um, I think it was the first big question mark popular question mark solo rpg question mark Um, yeah it doesn't have to be solo like i know there were others before like we covered traveler and it has solo rules in 1976 or whatever but it feels like this one made the biggest splash and like the genre has just grown since then it is no longer a niche part of the rpg industry like there are tons of cool solo games out there right now anamnesis void 1680 am the necromancer uh like it's a huge part of the industry now probably because of the pandemic partially uh but that's what we're doing that's the book for today yeah i feel like the only other one that i know that really kicked off a bunch is the wretched mm, i mean i don't know what the timeline of those is but those are the two i think they were in similar timelines but uh the wretched is by chris Bissett and it's very good uh and is the other like solo game that i feel like especially because they released an srd for that and then it made a million other solo games out of it uh yeah i haven't played it 
and because we never play the games that yeah we, that we that's read. a different podcast yeah that's a other more different thing but kate you have played it right i have played it i'm actually fairly new to playing um ttrpgs in general and so i've been playing a thousand year old vampire um and i actually really love it and i say that because like i wasn't expecting to because i kind of hate being told what to do and the book is all just kind of like telling you what to do <laughs> yeah I'm... arguably solo role-playing games are just sitting with yourself having a book tell you what to do yeah and typically i hate that right like i hate journaling for myself and i hate being told what to do and so i was like okay i'll, I'll give this a shot um and, but i actually ended up really liking it because i think the structure of it's really interesting on like a design perspective and like i was able to enjoy what it's asking me to do enough to kind of put aside like my stubborn like little kid sibling feelings of like <laughs> no you can't tell me to write about this uh how old is your vampire right now my vampire is not that old, actually. I've I've played like a good um, couple hours of it, but I haven't finished it. So I also don't really do like uh, I don't do numbers really well. So I actually haven't put like an actual age on my vampire. Yeah. But I would say like my vampire is in like their first quarter of their life at this point. What is the worst video game that your vampire has ever played? <laughs> <laughs> Because I'm me, my vampire is actually born out of the plague, so um, there are no video games yet for my vampire to be mad Oh, about. thank God. That's the next plague. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I uh, I actually, both having not played this, I don't think that I've like given any concerted effort into playing a single solo role-playing game. Like, I tried a couple, <laughs> and I'm very bad at them, and I don't know... Unlike Kate, I'm totally okay being told what to do. Um, <laughs> in certain contexts, it is exactly what I would like to have happen. But the... So that's not, like, my block. I think I have this weird thing where, like, solo games overlap a lot with video games for me. Mm -hmm. And so, like, in the time of the day where I'm, like, I'm going to do a thing all by my lonesome that is game-like... I usually am like, okay, I'm going to I'm going to play a video game, I guess. And there's something about sitting down and writing and maybe that's because writing and I uh have a very I don't know, tempestuous relationship. Uh that it never really it never just ends up panning out. However, I am extremely tempted to play this one because I don't think I have to do anything other than, like, exist in the book. So the book is, like, a whole-ass a whole ass hardcover book. Yeah, it's, like, 180 pages or something in the book form, I think. And, and just, like, you know, sits like a normal book. Hardcover, uh, yeah. Yeah. And you could, if you were feeling really brave, play the whole game in the book. Mm-hmm. Which, Kate, I'm assuming you're not, but are you? No, I was actually going to, um, particularly because, like, <laughs> the book was like, I would recommend you not do it in this book. And I was like, I'm going to do it in this book. <laughs> Fuck you, Tim. <laughs> but then I actually looked at the space provided to write it, and I was like, okay, I have an empty journal. I can, like, use some pretty, like, washi tape and stuff and, like, make an actual, like, journal for this to write in. So I ended up going that route. <laughs> Which I think is, like, the, re the, the more 
reasonable way to play it, especially if you're going to be adding other stuff to it. Because you're right, the game is like like a hundred pages of this book is is the prompts that you play it with, and and there are there is very little room to actually answer them, which might be intentional because it might be a little bit about don't like move on to the next thing eventually. You know, there's a little bit of a forcing your hand, which. Yeah, the book starts with some rules, like for creating your vampire, and they basically have memories, experiences, resources, characters, and marks that show they're a vampire. There's like a very simple mechanic for landing on prompts, and then a few pages of advice that are a lot like most artistic advice of like, don't get too precious, keep yourself open to ideas that didn't come to you beforehand, and then... A, a, a lot of prompts yeah did you kate did you find the advice at all helpful or useful or were you just like fuck this i'm i'm doing my own thing game uh, so i initially read through the rules at, in one sitting and i was like okay i don't think i might play this and then i was i was hanging around one day and i was kind of like okay you know what like i don't want to be on my computer i don't want to be on a screen so like I'll, I'll go through this thing. And I reread them again. And I was like, okay, yeah, like, I can understand why some of the advice is actually really useful. And, like, at first it kind of seems, like, almost like, yeah, you would expect this. Like, it says, like, be uncomfortable, right? And I was like, yeah, I'm used to being uncomfortable. That's fine. But then I was like, okay, no, I understand what they actually mean. is like, being uncomfortable with, like, letting decisions and things happen that you might necessarily not want. But kind of going with the flow of, like, what is the design trying to tell you about, you know like the experiences and your memory and memory formation and all this kind of stuff and so like i did find the advice like once i let myself (laughs) accept it was actually helpful i like that you uh playing this game is having like a meta experience with the game wants you to have like let your character be uncomfortable and kate's like no i will fine i will be uncomfortable (laughs) i will do this Uh, yeah i think it's like i think the the structure of it again having not actually interacted with it but it it seems interesting and when i was reading it I, like a lot often when i was reading it i was like oh i feel like i don't fully understand the movement of experiences into memories and then into the diary and i feel like that's a thing i would have to go through yeah to kind of understand the categorization because the idea is that you have a certain number of experiences that can exist that are like linked in in a, a memory, memory. Yeah, and then you could have a certain number of memories, and when you have too many memories, one of them has to—they can go into your diary, or you can also just forget them. I guess. Yeah, uh, and I, I had a really similar experience too. Like reading the instructions, I was like, I was like, okay, I think I get it. So like, you basically use memories as like a bucket container, and you can have up to five of those, and each of those like memory buckets can have three experiences. I was like, okay, I think I understand that, but I also think like. I don't. And so just starting to play through it, I was like, okay, so it asks you to like immediately do four memories and then you kind of start going through the prompts and you have to like slot in specific experiences under those memories. And the the process of that that was really interesting was kind of determining what constitutes the entirety of the memory. And so trying to think of like themes or categories or like how are experiences that seem unrelated actually related to each other and how am I categorizing that as like a full memory? Like that process ended up being really, really fun and sticky and interesting to me to kind of go through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the book suggests like journal as much as you want, you know, read a prompt, write a page, write two pages, but then you do have to boil however much you write down to basically a longish sentence for the memory, which is like a mechanical unit that that represents. 
And um, that process also seems really interesting. Uh, and then there are prompts that have you like cross out nouns or verbs from certain memories as well. Um, Something I know nothing about. But, uh, it's like a game you're working on. It's like um, a game I'm working on that I started <laughs> before reading this book. But yeah, even just that sense of like, I mean, it's just like meeting people later in life, right? Like you have these whole experiences and someone asks you like, what are you about? What are you thinking? What was your childhood like? And it's like, oh, Jesus, how do I what was the, take all of this? What's your biggest video game regret? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, the... Uh, and we might get to this eventually, there are appendices in this book, including multiple interviews with the author, uh, which is interesting. Maybe we'll talk about them, maybe we won't. But he kind of puts forth like the process of forming memories and kind of defining yourself was a big part of this. And I think the game does a good job of like recreating that experience. Yeah, I, I think so too. While I was playing this, I was thinking a lot about um, the video game um, I Was a Teenage Exocolonist, because a lot of exocolonists is also about like your gameplay experiences translating into memories and the process of building those memories as part of your like coming of age identity like formation, but then you have to go through and forget memories as well in order to make space for new memories. And so a thousand year old vampire does that a lot, right? Like you can only have five memories. And so as you are filling those memories up with different experiences and you start creating new memories and new experiences, you have to cross older ones out. And it's just really like the design is really interesting to kind of create this reflection of like, how do we kind of constitute ourselves and how we think of ourselves, but also how does that evolve over time? And like, what are we willing to forget? And what does that mean about who we are? And there's just a lot of like, really interesting design implications or associations with memory and identity formation that I think is really, really fascinating. Um, there's one prompt in the book that I really, really like, which is like, um, it's basically like something happens and you have to create a false memory. And so it's like, take three of your traits and combine them into a new fake memory that you believe is true. And then so you have to start like, it asks you to intentionally kind of create a lie that your character believes. And then if you have, if you revisit that prompt and you have to dig deeper into it, um, it can even do things like, okay, one of your previous memories is actually false. And so there's a, this little bit of like, kind of like interacting with the idea that like memories we hold dear are things that we are kind of like changing each time we think about that. And I just thought the design was a really nice echo of this kind of like identity formation via memory process. Yeah, I think it's like, I think there's like a, a number of interesting things happening there. One being like the engagement with how humans actually like develop memories and lose them and how unfactual they are. Um, and then mechanically, there's this really interesting thing that I felt when reading it where you think that you understand the mechanics of the game when you get to the prompt section where you're supposed to start playing it. And then the prompts actually frequently like add to or change the central mechanics of the game as you're going through them which I really enjoy. <laughs> like, I think they're like really compelling prompts because they fully interact mechanically. And I feel like in a, and maybe this is incorrect, but like in some of the, the solo games that I've like tried to pick up and play, I feel like there is often this disconnect between 
what the like the game structure and then how you interface with it and this feels like very woven into the ex- entire experience which i think is very clever mm-hmm. uh, and potentially like why it's so popular and successful is like there is like asking people to change kind of the the way they interact with the structure feels satisfying to me <laughs> right there are um, like meta rules basically or like yeah. advanced rules that might get introduced depending on the prompt like there's one rule that's like find a memory from a different playthrough of this game you now think it is yours put it in your thing mm-hmm. um which uh you know is funny if you've played it multiple times and it's funnier if you if this is your first playthrough and you get that one and then you have to like go through the examples or find someone else's playthrough and find a memory to put into yours. Um, yeah, there's a lot of like what I would think of as, as game breaking stuff mm-hmm. in there, and of course it doesn't actually break the game because the wonderful thing about RPGs is that you actually like can't really break them. Um, <laughs> that's like a, a term that only really functions uh, in video games, <laughs> but uh, because the the system and structure of the games are your commitment to them (laughs) and you can shift that at any time (laughs) uh and so it is but like they are these things that ask you to kind of revisit how the structure exists um which i think yeah i just find like really exciting i'm really into games that let themselves be kind of broken and pulled apart and changed and shifted um through the act of play i'm on this whole nonsense thought process these days about like where are what are the lines between like an RPG and a video game and where do those things like what actually defines those two <laughs> those two realms and one of the things that I was asking this of Twitter the other day and uh, a friend mentioned the idea that RPGs are kind of like tools to play games um and it got me thinking and i was like oh yeah they kind of are like they're not really games they're just tools to play games and then the games exist when you play them and you make them right and so they're not they don't like exist in this game state by themselves um and that's kind of that's a long way of me saying i think it's I like when games lean into that being what they are, when when game books and rules texts kind of lean into the idea that they don't really exist until humans start to interact with them and humans are messy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so like leaning into all of the ways in which you can like engage and encourage messiness, especially in a solo space where people can really define their own like safety boundaries. Cause I think the messiness can be a little tricky when there's lots of people involved. Um, but in solo games, you really have this freedom to kind of, like, fuck with everything because the person playing the game is also the person, like, officiating the game. And so they can you can kind of define a lot of what you want to give and take. Um, yeah, yeah. There, there's something really interesting, too, about Thousand-Year-Old Vampire and the way that, like, it's really hard to, like it's really hard to not engage with the game the way it wants you to ask. Because, like, even if you... Because, like, the way you settle some prompts is sometimes you'll have to use, like, a trait that you have and you can dictate your traces to whatever what, whatever you want them to be or you have to use resources, right? And so, like, if you go into this game, like, I am never going to murder somebody. I'm only going to get good traits. You still have to resolve 
certain prompts with certain traits you have available and those might come in conflict with each other in really interesting ways and so it's like it's i find the game was really hard to it was really hard to lie to this game right like if it asks <laughs> me to do something that i don't necessarily want to do but i only have certain traits available to me like i'm really charismatic or i'm really good at lying or like things like that and then like i have to use those traits in maybe ways that create vengeance or create murder or create these like unsavory situations that maybe I was trying to avoid like I really kind of like this tension like you can go into this with all of like the good ideas of like I'm gonna be this great awesome vampire but like you have to kind of engage with the conflict of the context and I really like that about it yeah it yeah the context is a great word for it like you write down these small phrases that you define to yourself charismatic or whatever and then the book recontextualizes it with like uh people chase you out of town because of one of your traits like market what is it and it's like oh they chased me out of town because i was too nice (laughs) what does that mean then and like how does that inform what my idea of niceness or kindness is and what did i do that i thought was kind that got to me got me chased out yeah and prompts will also give you traits too right so like you can get traits like oh i am bloodthirsty now so like i also really like the ephemera of like oh i have a bunch of traits that are like i'm kind to animals i don't actually have that but like (laughs) say you did right and you could have like i'm a nice person and then it's like underneath like all of these really nice traits you have i am bloodthirsty because like the game makes you like that humans are cattle (laughs) yeah like that that also the friction between what the game is putting into you versus what you're putting into it is also really interesting um, are you using only the the default prompts? Uh, what, a lot of the appendices are like extra prompts, oftentimes written by other people, uh, contributing freelancers. Yeah, I actually didn't even notice there were additional prompts until I was going back through the book in preparation for this, and I was like, oh shit, I missed a whole... Oh, I swear. Anyways. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, perfect. <laughs> like, oh shit, I didn't know all this other stuff kind of existed here, so... Yeah, I'm only using the default ones. I like the additional prompts because they often exist kind of thematically because they're written by different game designers, like different writers. So they can have quite a different flavor to them um, than all the than all the built-in ones. Again, I think they're they're presented as a once you've played this once, if you want to play it again and you want to change the the game that you're playing, you can substitute as many or as few of these prompts as you want. Um, but uh, but yeah, they're pretty they're pretty compelling. It's a good it's a good use of appendices. This yes, uh, this book, including the random number pages. In case you don't want to have it, <laughs> in case you don't want to have a dice, a, any kind of dice on you, they're just like pages of random numbers, and it's like point at them, right? Like, close Drop your a eyes coin point on at the them. page. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is great. I like the the kind of like divination style um random number situation i just envision somebody like sitting over this with like a pendulum or something being like the pendulum will choose my number or whatnot yeah well and there are always articles too about like uh people play D in prisons and they're not allowed to have dice because it's like gambling associated and so stuff like this is really useful or if you're taking the train to work or something you know like there is this kind of magical divination sense to it, but there's also this sense of like uh, accessibility that I think is really cool. 
Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of an interesting thing because it wouldn't be amiss in like any game, like if any rule book, and this is the first time I've seen right. it, like every rule book could just put a couple pages of random numbers in it in case you didn't have dice on you or want to have dice on you or whatever. Uh, it, I mean, it fits thematically because a lot of the book is like collaged things together as well. But um, yeah, I just like the idea of trying to trying to like because like human i don't know i this is i bring up the pendulum because one i just finished watching yellow jackets and it made me think of it and two i grew up in a household where pendulum use was frequent (laughs) um and (laughs) like a, a real thing that existed in my life um and i find like human like human run attempts at randomness and like taking meaning from that really interesting and so the idea that you're like oh i really wish that i would land on a three or whatever or i really want to like go back to that prompt that i had two pages ago so i'm gonna like try and convince myself that i've randomly (laughs) chosen minus two or whatever is a thing that i love Uh, because you could also just pick the numbers there's nothing stopping you from just being like i want this prompt so i'm going to move through this prompt i do really like the mechanic of a role that lets you move forward and back Mm -hmm. in the in the prompts i think it's really uh it's very clever it's very i mean i'm always the person on here that's like mechanics are they good no it's good i don't know if we mentioned it but you roll a 10-sided die and then you roll a six-sided die and you subtract the results of the six from the ten. Um, so in general, probability you will usually move forward through these prompts, or you there's more forward action than back over time. But sometimes you might roll a one and then a six, and you go back um, five prompts, and then it's not it's not strictly aligned to moving through time, um, which was what I like a thing that I got just from reading so many books and comics where like moving forward through space is moving forward through time. Um, you're always moving forward through time, except when you're not. Sometimes you go back into a dreamland. There are a few, you know, uh, but um, yeah. And then yeah. When you get to the last eight pages or 10 pages or whatever. All of the prompts end in the game is the over. The game is over. Oh, Kate mentioned a favorite prompt. Did you have one, Max? I like a lot of them. Yeah. I like, I like every one that ends in the game is over. <laughs> An old friend or foe murders you in your sleep. Yeah. <laughs> the game is over. And there, there's one game ending one that I thought was really interesting was like, you find sustainability in this lifestyle. What does that mean? The game is over. <laughs> I was like, what? Like, I just like that it wasn't like, it was just like, you have a happy ending. What does that mean for you and your vampire? Yeah. I like all the I don't know I actually think that most of the prompts are extremely good yeah like the my the quote-unquote worst prompt is like this one's just fine it doesn't immediately spark an amazing idea but it's not bad it's yeah. still interesting um yeah, and I love... go ahead oh sorry no I got you off Aaron I don't remember nothing <laughs> nothing important I I'm talk so too sorry. much on this podcast anyway <laughs> I'm so sorry I was no, gonna no, say no. a thing I really like about the prompts too is like if you 
revisit a previous prompt based on how you're rolling. There's levels to dig into it. And I think that's a really smart thing because I remember when I first started, I hit one that was like, kill somebody. And I was like, okay, cool. And then I rolled and then I went back and it was like, I hit that prompt again. And I think it was like, kill somebody again. I was like, no, leave me alone. <laughs> and, so, and not every extension of the same prompt uh, results in the same action. But I do really like that there's this kind of layering of prompts. So it doesn't just like... The mechanical side of it is not just like, if you've done this prompt, take the next one on either side. It's like, no, let's think a little bit more about this this context and the situation. And like, what do you do further in the same kind of scenario? And I thought that was really cool. Yeah, they're almost like little micro stories or side quests or something. If you hit them again and again, it kind of zooms in or defines or redefines the first prompt. Um, one I really liked was, uh, your servants are numerous, enthusiastic, and sometimes useless. Create a skill based on a memory this is the skill you use to control them. Mm -hmm. And then if you get that prompt again, it is your servants bring you a gift you do not want. Create a problematic resource, which is just, I think, so good. I feel like my only GM advice is create a problematic resource. Like, I love giving out things that are useful, but will create problems upon use. Yeah, the, the use adjectives in really interesting ways right like that like problematic resource is not a category like it's just resources right right so you, you don't go to a list of problematic resources or anything like that yeah and there's another prompt too that's like you have to strike out a precious memory right and so it's like there is no memory that's designated precious it's just whatever you feel is a precious one to you and i really kind of like that yeah it just um, makes me envision every time a cat brings you a fucking mouse on your bed. <laughs> that is the moment that is being described there, where they bring you a present you do not want. And I'm like, yeah. why have you brought me this dead thing? My brain always goes to just, like, bombs. Like, <laughs> it's great to have a bomb. A bomb could be so useful, but it's obviously very problematic as well. Um, and so, you know, bomb, literal, or bomb, metaphorical. Uh, is where my brain goes for that stuff. I like I like the idea that in this pathway you have in this timeline you have created a vampire that just has a bunch of bombs, which is not something that is often associated with vampires. Yeah, but you I you know I think you could contextualize it in a fun way of like oh I'm you know lording over these weird shell shocked peasants outside of a German city and they bring me an unexploded bomb or whatever after World War II and it's like, oh, well, great, I have an immortal enemy that I'm going to use this bomb on, but also sometimes a prompt is going to be like, your resource gets fucked up. What do you think happens? And it's like, oh, dang, my bomb went off early. <laughs> I also like that, like, what a resource is is so wide yes. open in this game. Like, I think for my playthrough, I had, like, one of my resources was like an emerald ring that like the lady I loved gave to me and also my entire apothecary shop that I ran, right? Like mm -hmm. you can go super minute or super big and I, and like the way in which you use resources to solve specific prompts is really interesting. Yeah, I think the example says something like it can be a pendant or a fleet of warships. Yeah. <laughs> so a question. I guess I'm curious, Aaron, have you played any solo games? No. I guess we gotta get on our solo games. Well it's like it's like one of those things where like you know, I grew up like drawing new Mortal Kombat screens, you know? <laughs> or like drawing Zelda maps and stuff. And so there's this sense of or even reading an RPG, right? You start thinking, 
I'm, I'm making this character in my head or whatever. Um, so in like the traveler mode of you can roll planets and roll characters and write them down and think about what happens when they interact. Um, and I'm not trying to be cagey or be like, yeah, actually I, I have, but not in the way you would think. But I just mean <laughs> it immediately opens up these questions in my brain of like, what is, what is play? What does, but no, I have not sat down, opened a solo specific RPG and followed its rules all the way through. Cause I'm curious and I, this is why I would have asked this question to both of you, but Marin, you're now excluded from answering this. Um, and then I'm going to take also a nap excluded. quick. Yeah. <laughs> and, I have pl- and I have played one. <laughs> yeah. This, this one. <laughs> well, I guess I'm curious, like, from the perspective of being a writer, like, what that experience is like, right? Like, you sit down and write stories of your own choice. You yes. play your own solo your mind solo game. game. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in that, like, when you when you come to the end of this, right, like, what you have is, like, a story that can be published. They, there are literal published playthroughs of A Thousand-Year-Old Vampire, right? Like, there is a book that is just a playthrough of A Thousand-Year-Old Vampire. Um, it's very beautifully illustrated, also. Uh, and I contemplate purchasing it, even though I haven't played Thousand-Year-Old Vampire. But, um, you know, and and that process... Yeah, I guess I just, like, am curious about it in relation to, like, this is obviously a different process to write a story, but, like, is there what i don't even know what the question is beyond just like is is there are there parallels there is that like an interesting process do you think that there is like a world in which you use games to help write other games like is there games to help write other stories or whatever uh as a person who doesn't voluntarily write words (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so actually the, the being a writer is a huge part of why i like i think i stayed out of this space for so long is just because like so much of my job is thinking of stories and is thinking of characters and is trying to pull together cohesive threads that like when i'm relaxing i don't often always want to do the thing that is like what I do all the time for work. And so for for a really long time, I even avoided things like D&D because I was like, thinking of a character is exhausting to me right now. <laughs> but the reason why, there, there's two things. The reason why I started getting into playing TTRPGs and like D&D specifically is, is the ability to improv with other people makes me better, uh, makes me a better collaborator and kind of like opens up more freedom and like more comfort with like, being wrong or having ideas fall flat or finding a, a kernel of an idea somewhere else. And so like there, there's a lot of TTRPG stuff and play that actually has just made me more loose as a collaborator. And, and by loose, I mean like more willing to kind of just have fun in the process of writing and designing and brainstorming in general. Um, but with something like A Thousand Year Old Vampire, it's actually given me a space to just be bad right like I don't have to worry about is my character interesting to anybody else it's like nobody else is gonna read this like nobody is gonna care if I wrote this cliche or if I did this thing that's so melodramatic like nobody's gonna read this and it just kind of lets me just enjoy whatever I want to enjoy thinking about or playing as or exploring there's no there's no stakes to it outside of my own enjoyment and that's really that's a space that I don't have a lot in writing and so like it's it's kind of really fun to engage creatively with thousand year old vampire on that level where there is no stakes I just get to be as messy as chaotic as as enjoying of the process as I want with no with no need to think about you know is this good for other people 
have you messed with like weird writer games like i feel like surrealists and dadaists there's like exquisite corpse stuff and um you know like cut up technique all that sort of thing like is that something that you have ever been interested in yeah i i did a four-year creative writing degree and there's tons of exquisite corpses that you did interesting (laughs) yeah there's a lot of like um learning via each other kind of stuff that 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 is really productive and useful so like i have done a lot of that stuff before i've just never done it in a space where it's like i don't have to worry about if i'm being perceived correctly (laughs) because like i'm not being perceived at all as my vampire that's perfect (laughs) the real the real dream not it's so it's so interesting like because those games are meant to be oh free your brain up a little bit turn a solitary activity into a social activity but i guess in the context of school it maybe loses a lot of those freeing stuff and just becomes like perform in a way that these other people will judge you correctly on it's why i don't play scrabble (laughs) i'm so bad at like thinking of words and people are like i don't like yeah i don't then immediately someone goes but you're a writer yeah i hate the book category on jeopardy because it's all about like american authors and i haven't read a lot of american authors i studied canadian lit and so it's like i stay away from things where there's expectations that i'm gonna be good (laughs) if if i don't want to you know engage with it on like a certain craft level yeah that's very yeah weird. i also think within like academia there's a lot of like brainstorming exercises and it's always like prefaced with this like whatever we're just brainstorming and then the whole structure of research is like what is the useful output of your brainstorm <laughs> like right. it's not yeah like it's totally a lie <laughs> it is not a like <laughs> low pressure place which is why i think a lot of like creative education just bombs but uh <laughs> there's but a, a have you seen thing. slings and arrows have i brought up slings and arrows on this podcast before i don't know that you have and i have not seen it i feel like it's a thing that i have heard of but yeah it's a tv show a canadian tv show um but it's about like a big professional theater that is like rich and sells like shakespeare merchandise and stuff and through a series of misadventures this kind of scrappy uh mad suicidal younger artist ends up in a you know a powerful role in this creative organization and he has to run a corporate workshop. And there's this scene that I always think of where these people have come to him. Uh, and he's just like, let's hang out. What's up? What's going on? And they're like, well, we are here to learn leadership techniques as you know, portrayed in the works of William Shakespeare from whatever to whatever. And um, so he comes in with this idea of like, this is going to be a fun thing. And they come in with kind of more what you were describing. And then he says, like, let's fuck with some text. And that's a phrase that I think of a lot of just, like, deconstructing that idea of, like, production and learning and having output and instead, like, getting your hands in the clay and pulling it apart and making a mess. Um, it's a good show, too. I don't know. It's based, I guess it's, it's, it's a fictionalized Stratford festival. Which yes, is a absolutely. Funny thing if you're a person who's been, who's been to the Stratford festival. Um, and that's the one that like, uh, the first season is, uh, part of it is about like when Keanu Reeves went to perform at Stratford festival. And so they have this whole kind of parallel thing of this American action movie star coming and <laughs> learning Shakespeare. And it's very well done. Uh, it's a good show. 
I feel like it's the it's the never-ending problem with like creativity in any form of like structure or I don't know. I think I'm also thinking about this a lot lately because education and whatever, but the I am envious of the statement of like, oh yeah, I just play this and nobody gets to see it and it's a nice creative thing because I literally cannot imagine playing an RPG that way because mm -hmm. of the making of RPGs. Like I can't imagine a solo RPG or a not solo RPG being like a free play space. <laughs> right. Yeah. Even in talking about this, I was like, oh, I should play solo RPG. And then I was like, oh, but I could record it and release it in the Patreon feed. <laughs> and I'm just like poisoned brain all the way through. <laughs> and I think, I mean, I think that might be why I turned to video games for that is because like the, mm. the experience of playing video games, even if I am having like design thoughts in the background, don't feel like as poisonous maybe you could stream it max you could stream it <laughs> literally never please um i mean i would stream a video game if i was really terrible at it that's the only that's the only pathway i've ever thought to streaming is like how bad can i be at a video game uh and still be entertaining uh but yeah i can't i can't imagine I think which is why I don't really get very far into them when I have tried them is because I usually get, this is a problem that I have in other places too, but like I get to a space where I'm like, oh, I understand how this works and I've lost interest. Yeah. And mm -hmm. normal RPGs or normal whatever, multiplayer RPGs, the interest isn't in how the game works. It's in the interaction with other human beings, which is always changing, <laughs> which is, is the same reason that I get sucked into like, multiplayer online games because the gameplay is always changing and often I bounce off like solo single player video games because I'm like oh I get it now I don't actually need to see it to its end I understand how the game works <laughs> yeah I think I think that I think that's why I thought a lot of exocolonists when I was playing this because like there's a similar thing happening with them in terms of like the design around memories and identity construction and for me the kind of thing that helps kind of like shortcut that like oh i get what's going on that's clever is because while i understand the mechanic like the progression of the ways in which the context shift in both those games like thousand year old vampire and exocolonist is super interesting to me and and, and from like a storytelling perspective it's like okay yeah I, I i'm understanding the mechanical nuance here but i am really curious to see how they're going to bring those into clash and like what the ultimate progression of this coming of age kind of story looks like right um well, I, I think because I'm a storyteller so I'm like yeah let's do it let's see it <laughs> yeah and like I I think also we're in an age where because I don't think this is contentious to say but like video game writing is good now or whatever <laughs> um or there like are more examples of there being mm -hmm. more compelling stories in video games even just because like different people are making them but it's also like you know kind of a uh, an art form that I don't think has been given as much I don't think this is contentious either but has given that much like as much attention and like study and development and money <laughs> as other video game yeah, uh, I... other elements of video games and so they, it's getting I feel like unlike a lot of other places in video games the actual ways that like narrative interplays is more unexplored and less more exciting <laughs> uh, yeah i kind of want to i want to like gently kind of say like i think game stories have always been good i think what we're developing now are like more tools and more resources to understand why and like pull those out kind of more right because like i'm thinking about like 
Unreal, like the 1998 first ever Unreal game, right? Which is like my favorite game ever. And how much the story in that game, which is told entirely through audio, like text logs that you find, was so compelling to me and kind of was like super formative for me and how I thought about and approached a lot of, you know, like my own writing and things like that. And I think like what we're kind of grappling with better now in video games. And sorry, now you got me on my high horse, which is writing for video games. I wasn't trying to set you up for that at all. No, no, no. It's like, we understand now that like we can evaluate them by different standards and different tools to evaluate them and so we're starting to see it's like oh yeah storytelling is not just like the words on the page but the like but storytelling in video games is like how the mechanics are speaking to character and how like world is setting up these stakes and like all, all these kind of moving pieces together that are more than just what we're used to thinking of when we think about what is good writing and so like I think that's what's so interesting now is that we have better vocabulary for the specifics of video game writing and so we're able to like better dive into that if that makes sense totally i think that's i mean that's part of what i obviously it's not it's not my high horse so i could <laughs> wrong. uh but it's it feels like it's i don't know i guess i think it it feels a bit like a a younger art form not in that it hasn't been around for a long time and there haven't been people participating in it but that the conversations around it have felt like they've changed and grown quite dramatically in like the last decade yeah yeah 100 percent. right like we have and and that kind of goes to like what i what i was saying about like it's we understand how to evaluate it now right whereas like we we know its own merits we know its specificity and we can we can talk about it on those terms instead of it, just like is this as good as Citizen Kane and it's like that's not a useful comparison. <laughs> <laughs> well, and like, I mean, I think it's a, a, a similar parallel happens within RPGs, right? Like RPGs still feels to me like a young art form because even though it's been around for fifty years or whatever, one it's in a, a similar parallel to video games. The people developing it and having large voices in it had been largely the same for a lot of decades, and then. <laughs> Uh, a lot of things have shifted as far as like who gets to make what Um, and whether that's about like you know diversity initiatives or the world progressing or tools being accessible or whatever like all those parallels kind of uh, influence those things developing in both realms but I feel like what it means is that like for me a person who it takes I would describe myself as somebody who does not has not did not play a lot of like my early video game developments were very frequently in spite of a lot of narratives happening like I'm a person who loves I don't know arcade games yeah and has a like often doesn't care about what the narrative framing for a mechanical thing is or can enjoy myself when there isn't that and so what I find is that like my process of oh, am I going to play this all the way to the end is usually based on like, is at some point this story going to disappoint me because it's going to reveal that it was made by a boring dude (laughs) is often what ends a game for me, right? Like when I get to the point where I'm like, oh, I figured this out. I don't need to see this more is usually like, oh yeah, some dude wrote this game and there's like a, a bunch of shitty characters that are just being shitty people and like the world building's boring and I don't know, there's no framing of oppression in the world or whatever right like there are it's a really wild framing of oppression uh, in the world and therefore i'm like i don't need to see how this ends yeah <laughs> um 
and and that it, and that like that's the same. It's not dissimilar in RPGs where I'm like, oh, is this adventure I'm running gonna reveal its shitty man behind the curtain or whatever? Right. There's a two-hour fight at the end of this adventure, and then whoever wins is right. Yeah, and like yeah. You know, and and my assessments are actually very similar in, in video games and RPGs. It's like, oh, is the only is the only conflict resolution through violence, right? Is that the only thing? Then you better make that violence really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I don't actually need another dude. Well, but even on what violence is? But. You and I have both been playing Citizen Sleeper and Dredge, yeah. which are not violent games, but I felt like I had internalized and understood and quote unquote mastered. I'm not good at video games, but I understood the systems in both those games halfway, two-thirds of the way through, and then the rest of the games are just sort of like, do those things again, and we'll like change the images and the text while you repeat these same actions. And like Kate was saying, like the stories were fine, were interesting superficially, or like, you know, were quote unquote well written or whatever, but because the mechanics were not engaging with them in an interesting way i felt sort of disconnected and i'm not saying those games are bad they're fun games i finished them i played them but the idea of video game narrative is not the same as a novel narrative or a movie narrative because it involves these game mechanics and how those interact yeah 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 and like that's what i find so creatively engaging about thinking about game mechanics right from a storytelling perspective like this is why i switched careers from being a you know a traditional book editor to writing for video games because there's just this interesting kind of friction space between mechanics and story that i find really productive and i'm super excited to kind of find new ways of continually exploring like what is the harmony between the two what is the friction between the two and how are both of those moments kind of contributing to the whole like kind of cohesive fabric of what this story is like I'm thinking about with like thousand year old vampire how like it's interesting like what's interesting to me is to continue to kind of see the ways in which the mechanics force story points that I never would have thought of on my own and like that's super interesting to me yeah I think that's the I don't know that feels maybe I'm being unnecessary in this statement but to me that feels like the heart of rpgs in general yeah right and they accomplish it i think when they're solo rpgs they accomplish it through compelling prompts that you that maybe make you think in a way that you didn't think and when they're not that comes in because you're in a a point of collaboration right like you're collaboratively Mm -hmm. making a story with other people so naturally they're going to come up with things that you don't necessarily think of yourself and i feel like that is potentially also what I mean when I say, is this video game going to reveal the white guy behind the curtain through its story at some point, right? Is like, if you can see it coming, then it's it, to me, it's often disappointing. Yeah, uh, I think friction is like a really good term to use. Like Kate said, I, and, you know, like cinema, movies have been around for long enough that there is a developed language of structure and criticism. And so now we see these movies that are like, this is the three-act thing. Uh, We introduce the problems in Act 1. The characters will all change. At the end of the act, they all have individual arcs. But 
it's like this weird boiled down vinaigrette of a narrative where they all end up having the same shape and rhythms not all mainstream large appeal movies all end up feeling the same because of that development of critical language um whereas in more like i don't know renegade mediums like video games people can still do weird things and create friction um but like you see the same thing in novels where like the big published novels uh all kind of have these same feelings and it's very rare these days to see something that is more experimental or is more like no one is going to change here this is a book about like introducing you to a place and a person and letting you just fucking sit in it like a weird muddy pond and absorb it like that's a genre of literature that's really good and interesting to me that involves like empathy with these characters but because it doesn't follow that structure is kind of less common these days yeah and i think i think that goes to max's point as well of like if you're only ever having the same like cis het white dude telling stories and like you're only ever going to get so many variations on the same story on the same structure on the same ideas right and like that's why like you get so much interesting and nuanced and unexpected kind of stuff when you have different people creating in different mediums and so like that's kind of like a thing I say I think I say I work all of the time is like I only know how to have my thoughts right and so like I'm a really open person when it comes to like story work and narrative work at, at the studios I work at because I can only have my thoughts and if it's only going to have my thoughts then it's going to be super limited in a specific worldview and like whatever and I kind of like the I like the unexpected or the unexpected to me that comes out of having you know different people getting a say and different people being able to be creative and like I think there's something really interesting there about how like games and TTRPGs mechanically can kind of facilitate this process a bit um yeah Yeah, I feel like there's I mean I'm excited that these things keep getting like more and more blurred right and the overlap becomes like the the differentiation between the two mediums I think is maybe non-existent (laughs) um or like the existence of it is like really down in the weeds right because it's not i think at one point it was like is something digitally enabled and that's just not a truth like there are lots of rpgs that are you know like if you have a discord game if a game exists entirely in discord is it is among us a video game or an rpg you know like those things those lines don't exist and i feel like part of that like lesson and back and forth is about things being like in collaboration with one another. Um, But also that whole statement is like the anti-auteur statement, right? Like it's just like, I don't, I don't want to have a singular viewpoint art piece be the thing that is, I don't know, held up and lauded as like the best. Well, I I want that if they're from somewhere outside of what is common, but there's like a sense of like, almost system mastery with a lot of like with novels or storytelling um movies of like i have mastered the three act structure i have mastered introducing this thing in act one and then the character changes and blah 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 they're like the fucking hero's journey bullshit like a lot of that stuff is system mastery i have learned the rules i've learned the language of storytelling and internalized them to a degree where I can point to any story and say this is the problem because it didn't follow this this kind of accepted good structure uh and that sucks it's boring i'm tired of it 
Yeah, I go back and forth on structure so much. Sometimes I'm like, ah, structure can really help solve problems. And other mm-hmm. times it's like, God, I hate structure. Right. <laughs> like, and I think that's what's so good for me about like actually letting myself play a game like Thousand Year Old Vampire because it's so anti structure in a way because like the fact that you can like repeatedly stay in the same prompt that the rising and escalation is entirely like mechanical is also so kind of and and, and obviously they have some pacing throughout the, the prompts themselves but like it kind of really forces you as or forces me as a writer to not so much think about like how I've been trained to think about writing and pacing and escalation and more just kind of like think about character first and foremost um and I really like that that's a little bit why I'm curious to read the 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 playthrough of it that got turned into a book. I mean, it's a very good looking book, but you know, what does what does that like artifact look like when it's generated not from a traditional like story writing practice, you know, like when it what is it like to read a story written from this like very strange <laughs> a structural like warping shifting landscape of of writing uh because i i'm curious if it has that if it if it can if it maintains that as a as a product that you should then then read i'm obviously i don't think most people should share their <laughs> i don't think you have to share your playthrough but i am curious about how that changes a story that other people are then going to ingest, not just a practice of writing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But. Uh, you're never reading mine for the record. <laughs> Unless you subscribe to our Patreon at the $30 a month. <laughs> uh, okay. But now I'm, now I'm just like, how do we get you to share snippets? What's the worst, what's the worst thing your vampires done? No. Um, what's the, uh, but I feel like I mean I, I think that's like I think that's the the better way to play it right like I think that is the I think it is at all points if you can avoid the poison brain that is I should share or this needs to be validated externally or like whatever whenever you can cut that off you should cut it off um, but I am curious about as I mean and this this I think for me lives in the like writing does not come easy to me like I continue to write RPGs and and writing and I have a very it is very hard it is very hard for me to write things I have spent most of my life cultivating this idea of my personhood that revolves around making things pretty um, visually not about using words uh, and and it is never not painful and difficult and unpleasant to participate in the act of writing and so there is some part of me that's like is there a shortcut (laughs) or is there like help you know like is there structure and support that these things it's not even you have to be a shortcut but like please please solo rpgs help (laughs) help max yeah i think like and now i'm just getting into like oh if you want to start writing like i think like (laughs) something something that's good about thousand year old vampire is like there are no stakes to it right like you can just start learning how to have ideas and then learning how to like articulate those ideas right like and I think, like, that's something that's that's always useful for me. Like, I feel like I'm kind of continually, like, going back to, like, basics often, right? Like, whenever I start a new project or whenever I start a new thing, like, I will often, like, pick up, like, a, a book on a structure that I'm not super familiar with or, or a book on something to kind of help, like, 
just kind of remind myself about some of the fundamentals of craft and, and things like that. And also because like, I'm a nerd, I love talking about the craft of writing. And so any excuse to like, engage on that level, I will I will take but you'll often find me reading a, a book on like the writing craft just because I find it's a helpful no matter what stage of my career I'm at and be just just interesting. Yeah. Is that the perfect time to go into our final segment sure. of suggesting some media other other media to engage with should you yeah. like to move on i can't talk okay. about vampire things because apparently i just don't we've been talking about vampires. You, but you could also talk about like craft things or like writing generative generative props i had one and i lost it so i'm gonna let other people go and then i'll try and remember what it was uh yeah my media that vibes with thousand year old vampires the mcdonald's grimace milkshake <laughs> um excuse you I have shaved the purple monsters, grimace berries, and supped of their cream. It was mm-hmm. it was monstrous, uh, disgusting, but will sustain me for at least one thousand years. Is that no, I don't know. Go read an Anne Rice book. <laughs> go, go, read, <laughs> go read Interview with the Vampire and then Vampire Lestat, because they cover the same characters from different points of view. It's interesting, or I don't know, and a little horny. It's very horny. I a little say. horny. Yeah, I mean, yeah, fair. Uh, yeah. I, I, I have never read an Anne Rice, is what I was going to say. I have what? multiples. I have multiples on my shelf, and every time I pick them up, I read the first 10 pages, and I'm like, oh, God. And then I put them back down, and I'm like, I will read this some other day. There's literally nothing about this that makes sense. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> Listen, my horror journey is new. <laughs> but she had her whole like witch series that is i have been told yes i one of the books that i have on my shelf is the witching hour because friends of mine have said that it is their favorite Anne rice and but it's huge and i just picked up the stand and i need horror writers to not write seven hundred thousand page epics in order rice is better than stephen king put the stand down Pick up Witching Hour. Stand is great. I oh, stand is great. I'm, I'm <laughs> sorry. I'm on Max's side here. <laughs> I am enjoying it so far. Like, yes, it's very long. And so, like, I'm planning to get to the end of book one and maybe take a break. Um, but but I also, yeah, I don't know what it is so far. So far, Stephen King has taken me over Anne Rice in this, in this death match between Stephen uh, King and In the Rice. stands, the bad guy has some followers who are sometimes useless and do bring him a bomb so <laughs> look forward to that um, yeah i i don't read a lot of vampire stuff any anymore um but i was gonna say something that i in in the spirit of like media and things like that something i do do a lot is i read a lot of like um urban legends and i read a lot about like cryptids and i read a lot of folklore because like i love the idea of like what is in our collective unconscious and how have like we kind of collectively and collaboratively shared stories over the years like urban legends are so fascinating to me because like they're super regional and there's this like persistent form of like oral storytelling and I just I find like thinking about that kind of stuff super fascinating and also like what are what are the connections between things right like how many things drink blood in in our folklore right like a lot is the answer I was like (laughs) how many things do drink blood (laughs) Uh, I I mean my if we're talking about old vampires everybody should go watch The Hunger <laughs> this is you don't need to read Anne Rice you can just watch The Hunger 
and get your horny vampire fix. And if you want your horny vampire fix to be Catherine Deneuve, David Bowie, and Susan Sarandon, which who does not? Which you do. Which which, which you, you do, do. <laughs> or I don't know what you're doing here. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an offering for everyone. Uh, it's like if... And in some weird, it's some weird way. I always find like Tony Scott a little interesting because Ridley Scott, I just find like very offensive all the time. And somehow I feel like Tony Scott is like a similar aesthetic, a similar obsession with like the same kind of sexy women, but doesn't instantly make me want to die from <laughs> the statements that it's making about women. I don't know. There's some difference there in those Scott brothers. They're weird. They're weird guys. But uh, yeah, the hunger is is the vampire i mean also just go watch blade again it is never a bad time and blade 2 follow it up with blade 2 to watch to engage in a blood rave which i maybe put in a game of mine when i was younger this will surprise nobody my dream in life was to someday actually put on a blood rave but (laughs) yeah that checks yeah right nobody this is why i think it's hilarious that i'm like i'm new to my horror (laughs) my (laughs) horror journey is new because the aesthetics of horror have followed me around and i have been known in a couple different circles about having different relationships to blood but somehow that's never translated to like i'm going to read or watch horror well and also like blood is the least interesting thing about horror in my opinion so like how dare (laughs) <laughs> I was just going to say, like, I could see why that wouldn't necessarily be the immediate, like, into you for horror. Because I think, I don't know. I like it aesthetically. Yeah. Uh, quite a bit. No, and it, I mean, it goes back to that, like, can I see the twist coming? Is it going to reveal its gross dude behind the curtain at some point? And so much of, like, the history of horror is like, oh, yeah, great. Gross dude behind the curtain. Um, and I feel like, again, now we're in this wonderful age also it has nothing to do with vampires but you should go watch yellow jackets i was gonna say the same thing absolutely everybody should watch it it is my favorite thing i think i've seen ever. also blood drinking <laughs> also blood drinking it so it's, it's, it's not totally off, off um yeah no yellow jackets season two is actually um perfect it's i really <laughs> need the soundtrack to exist on vinyl i need to be able to like purchase a large very fancy edition of the soundtrack because i am a 90s baby and i mean i'm an 80s baby which means i want the 90s music but like it's perfect also speaking of the soundtrack but not doing spoilers the the way in which the show manages to use the corniest fucking song ever, oh which God. is Lightning Crashes by Live, in the most like <laughs> viscerally intense and impactful scene I've ever seen. <laughs> is Will just you, I can't recall expert. the song. Can you give us just like the few a few oh bars to refresh our memory? Absolutely not. Under <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no circumstances. Under no would also circumstances be, will you hear me sing. <laughs> which would also be my answer. <laughs> Uh, we have to feed. We have to feed all music directly through Aaron, and Aaron will use their voice box to to put it on the on the podcast. But lightning crashes, <laughs> and old mother cries. Is that the one? Yeah, that's okay. it. <laughs> I feel like in the best scene I've ever seen. <laughs> I feel like the. It really, it does that a couple times with music that you're like, oh, in, because, like, so much of 90s music is super corny. Yeah. uh, But it manages to really pull it together. Also, there is no, there are no dudes behind the curtains of that show. (laughs) Just (laughs) live. Just the dude in live. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful, fabulous show that, uh, 
think has influenced my brain in some ways. Uh, but also everybody should just go back to using pendulums to make their uh, difficult decisions in life. Um, because, And if people don't know what that is from the 90s, I'm sorry about your life. I do think when we use totally randomly generated ways of creating story scenes, we get Riverdale. So <laughs> be, be very careful what you suggest. <laughs> Listen, parts of Riverdale were amazing. Uh, parts of it, I will stand by. But yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Okay, fine. Don't use pendulums <laughs> to make your make your games or whatever. Um, no, I just think there's like fun. I think there's fun worlds uh, outside of using dice, and people should get into more abstract and obscure divination tools, uh, and not just use dice and cards. Just use random bullshit introduce your players to a new way to make choices is my is my mechanical challenge to everybody listening uh my challenge is let's fucking end this podcast whoa uh kate do you want to tell people one more time where they might find you if you want to be found also maybe you should talk about the book that you released because it's good yeah Oh, yeah. So I, I did recently release a book called Collaborative World Building for Video Games, available through Rutledge, um, through their imprint CRC Press. So if you could pick that up, that'd be super awesome. Otherwise, I can be found online, um, usually at Kate Zilla, K-A-I-T underscore Z-I-L-L-A. Um, and my website is thatmonstergames.com. Is that your real last name, Kate? <laughs> Shut up. You, you don't have to. It's Zilla, obviously. <laughs> that, is, that, is, that is the implication I'm making. Yeah, uh, yeah Kate Zilla, love it. Uh, I'm reading. I'm actually. I am. I am actually reading a collaborative role building for games. And even if you're a person who doesn't make uh, video games, I think it is. I think it's like a thing that that RPG people should read. I think very strongly RPG people should read this book. So, listen, RPG people, read said book. The second challenge from Max. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really trying to make people's lives hard today. Um, we got a Discord. There's a link in the episode description. We got a Patreon at patreon.com/rtfmcast. Next, you're running a jam. Time. Oh, we're running the uh, Bloodbeam Badlands jam still. Uh, I've make seen some people thing. working on stuff. Yeah, get that vampire. Dive into the blood. Make the Grimace milkshake in the post-apocalyptic irradiated vampire wasteland that you want to see in the world. Um, Dive into the blood and make a Grimace milkshake is the most ominous sentence I've ever heard. It's really, it really has extremely, it really encapsulates the Aaron King vibe, there was I have a, to say. In the 90s, uh, there were, all the comics were like, blood, hell, hell, death, death jam, whatever. And Rob Liefeld is like one of the most famous perpetrators of this trend, and he released a comic. There were also like uh, fancy covers, and they'd be like chrome or foil or whatever. And this one had uh, like a, a plastic cover with a piece of plastic over it, and then inside was some red liquid that you could squish around. And the cover had the phrase, rub the blood. <laughs> and so that is something I think of at least once a month. Oh, and wow. I just, you know, my Google search history is just like, rub the blood, 
you're gonna find me if you keep searching that at some point. <laughs> right, exactly. And my, my other podcast, Rub uh, the Blood, is Max's upcoming solo RPG. Yeah, yeah. I just realized in talking about special edition vinyls, I missed it. I think, but there's a small company that released the Mortal Kombat three video game soundtrack in a vinyl that is clear that is filled with blood, and so the blood moves around when. And what? I am so mad. <laughs> I'm so mad at myself. I've only learned this now. Put more weird blood in your shit. There are three challenges. Rub the blood. (laughs) Rub the blood. (laughs) All right. Next time on RTFM, I think we're doing Apocalypse Keys. Oh, yeah. We might have a guest for it. We might not. Or The Witcher. Oh, we could do The Witcher, too. We'll see. It'll be either Apocalypse Keys or The Witcher, depending on the prompts that we roll. Depending on what the pendulum says. Yeah. Do you have a quote for it? I can feel it coming back again.